You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Um, before we start, we would like to pay our respects to the people of the Eastern Cooling Nations, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which we are meeting today. We would like to acknowledge the unequal sacrifices of Indigenous people in the face of extraction in Australia and globally. We pay our respects to their land, their ancestors and their elders, past, present, future and emerging. So, hello. My name is Eduardo Cairuz. Hello, my name is Sam Spur. We are the Global Extraction Observatory, or GEO, a research collective examining the spatial aesthetics of energy production and resource extraction through creative practice, scholarship, and public engagement. Have you got a laptop? A smartphone. An iPad. A smart watch. A Kindle. Or a tablet. How about a wireless ear earbuds? or headphones, portable speakers, radio transmitters, walkie-talkies. How about an e-bike? Did you move on an e-scooter? Or an electric wheelchair? Or a one-wheel? Or an electric skateboard? What about power tools? Have you got drills? Disc saws? Grinders? Sanders? Have you got a portable lamp or a torch? A leaf blower? A lawnmower? How about a drone? A digital cam? A gimbal? Or an audio recorder. Is your toothbrush wireless? Your vacuum cleaner? Your hair straightener? Your hair dryer? Do you vape? Or do you suffer from depression? Or maybe bipolar disorder? In the global transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy, lithium plays an essential role for its unrivaled capacity to store energy. However, with this promising technology, crucial to mitigate carbon emissions and combat the devastating effects of climate change. There are conflicts of radically different scale that are still unresolved. At one extreme is the planetary scale. This is expressed by greenhouse emissions reductions efforts that promote the extraction of the lithium mineral to produce lithium ion batteries. At the other scale is the local expressed by indigenous and other local communities who argue for limiting lithium extraction based on grave cultural and environmental concerns. In this conflictive scenario with repercussions that represent the possibility to perpetuate or not the existence of humans and non-humans on the face of the planet, it is crucial that we expand our understanding of lithium extraction in order to demystify our own bias, assumptions and preconceptions. Today, we present our work in progress, investigated the contradictions embedded in lithium extraction, an activity that is destroying our cultural and natural ecosystems at the same time it is saving the planet. The story that we are about to tell is a story of both hope and of hazard. In matter and myth, lithium has become symbolic of the possibility of escaping the climate catastrophe. 
In this planetary crisis where climactic breakdown due to ever-increasing global carbon emissions looks inevitable, lithium is the one material that holds the promise of another future. In this situation, it seems that lithium is perhaps humanity's only hope. This hope, however, comes with hazards that are being felt with particular intensity in remote locations around the world. Most notably in places like the Atacama Desert in Chile, which until 2018 was the largest producer of lithium in the world. In your screen is the town of Green Bushes, a couple of hours drive south of Perth in Western Australia. Now the site of the world's largest lithium production. These two places have some of the largest lithium deposits in the world, where the mineral has been extracted at tremendous speed and scale. In Green Bushes, home to the largest known hard rock lithium reserves in the world, lithium is found in very low concentrations embedded in igneous rocks and in granite pegmatites that include spodumene and petalite. Across the Pacific in the South American Andes, lithium is concentrated in brines located deep underground deposits below large salt flats. These salt flats are scattered across the Altiplano Puno Plateau, an extremely harsh location where the borders of Argentina, Bolivia and Chile converge and that in recent years have been dubbed the Lithium Triangle. Since the 1980s in the Atacama Desert, several mining mammoths have been extracting the minerals at massive industrial scale. Pumping the lithium-rich brines into hundreds of massive artificial ponds, these mines are highly efficient as the liquid rapidly evaporates until it becomes lithium carbonate powder due to the extremely low humidity and almost perpetual sunshine that is characteristic in this part of the planet. Green bushes and the Salar de Atacama are therefore crucial places for the environmental preservation of our planet. And they're also key trajectories for the economic development of countries in the shift towards a green trans transition, supplying the lithium contained in the batteries of the mobile phones, smartwatches, laptops, and even vehicles that we increasingly consume. However, as we have seen, there are difficult and crucial questions that are still emerging in this context which create a tremendous entanglement of complexity that needs to be studied and addressed. Some of those questions are obviously environmental, concerning the impact that these mammoth mining operations have in what otherwise are sacred places for the indigenous communities that have lived in them for thousands of years. For instance, in the Atacama, it is still difficult to determine the medium and long-term effects that these extractive activities will have in a place where fresh water is scarce and in which, despite the extremely harsh circumstances, humans and other species have coexisted and thrived. Many of these species are currently under threat, including stremophile bacteria, which in Atacama have evolved to resist the ultra-saline conditions of the lithium-rich brines, and which is the reason why it is being studied by experts in the prospect of humans exploring Mars in, not, in a not-too-distant future. In Australia, the speculation of future lithium reserves can be mapped across its continent. In one scenario, the prospect of lithium mining in Alcala country, located in Cape York, represents the potential destruction of a natural environment where almost extinct species are slowly recovering. An example here is the Olwal or Golden Shoulder Parrot, which is one of the most important totems for the Alcala people. Similarly to Cape York, not too far from the Salada Atacama, questions regarding cultural awareness, preservation 
and self-determination of Indigenous communities are also being raised. For example, there is the threat posed to the fragile geoglyphs of Chug Chug, which are sacred for the Atacameño and Aymara people, and also, which also are believed to be part of a trans-Andean signage and storytelling system developed by nomads and traders for more than 4,000 years. Another risk, this time cultural and environmental at the same time, is posed to the Likankabur volcano. The single most important totem for the Likan Atai people. The sacred mountain is similarly under threat as lithium and copper mining companies see it as an unexploited source of fresh water in a region that happens to be the driest place on planet Earth. The conflicts around lithium extraction, we argue, are a microcosm of the global field. This presentation explores the multi-scalar questions we must hold in the conversation around lithium and its ramifications on one hand of the geological, material and environmental, and on the other cultural, political and technological. Let us begin with a planetary vantage point. The history of lithium starts with a big bang, the particular bang that marked the beginning of our universe. 14 billion years ago, helium, hydrogen and lithium one of the three was one of the three elements created during the universe's originary event. The controversies around lithium start at the very original, at, at that very originary moment, with scientists grappling for many years with the discrepancy between the amount of lithium observed in the universe and the amount that should theoretically exist. This problem is called the cosmological lithium problem. The matter of lithium itself is unique amongst other metals. And if we were to choose something to pin our hopes upon the dark times, it would be hard to find a more beautiful and luminescent substance. Its natural color is silvery, white, and it's an extraordinary light and soft metal, light enough to float on water and soft enough to be carved with a kitchen knife. Lithium remains solid across the extremes of temperature from a very low melting point to a very high boiling point. The name lithium comes from the Greek lithos for stone, due to the fact that lithium is found in nearly all stones and small amounts are consumable in vegetables and grains. The beauty of solid lithium can be rescaled to the landscape in the aerial visions of these mines. These kinds of images hold a voyeuristic awe as physical forms are taken over by pattern and texture. In these images, so pervasive with the use of drones, our comprehension is stymied by the mind's inherent porous territoriality. Working as hyper-objects across scales, times and materials, our failure to grasp the totality of its operations is this amorphous, sipping, shifting, transforming set of qualities. The public imaginary of lithium is captured in these famous images, where the brave new world of energy production is envisaged through the dazzling landscapes of Chilean lithium brine extraction. The utopian grid scale beyond the city and into the region. Pure form and matter. Pure geometry. Free of human improvisation and movement. A, a, fiat of human, a feat of human engineering taming one of the world's landscapes on Earth. At the scale of the body, lithium is a close ally, powering the devices that we rely upon, physically expanding and extending our bodies, abilities and senses. 
On July 13, 1992, the American band Nirvana released their third single from the Nevermind album titled Lithium. Kurt Cobain would later correlate the two central themes of this song, of this song drugs and religion, saying both were a fine sedative for the masses and a, div and a diversion from the sometimes unbearable harshness of existence. I'm so happy because today I found my friends, they're in my head. I'm so ugly, that's okay, because so are you. 14 billion years after its creation, lithium's cosmological journey would take, would take it into the microscopic confines of the human body. Lithiated waters were one of the many miracle elixirs that appeared in the late 19th century, holding the promise of health and happiness in a refreshing and sparkling liquid form. In the late 1800s, the consumption of lithia water became popular in the United States, first commercially bottled by Lithia Springs Water in Georgia, followed by Londonderry Lithia Water in New Hampshire, who sold the product until 1920 when a government chemist determined that the water was condemned and boycotted. These products were the precursors of a better-known beverage, the popular lemon soda drink 7-Up, which in its early days promised that 7-Up settles the stomach, the added lithium citrate neutralizes free acid, the sugar is inverted, burns clean. 7-Up is more than a mixer. It blends out the harsh features, dispels hangovers, takes the ouch out of grouch. Only 20 kilometers north from here, the M Pavilion, in the now disappeared Bundura Repatriation Hospital, a young Australian psychiatrist discovered the effects of lithium carbonate as a mood stabilizer for patients with mania, schizophrenia, and depression. The year was 1948, in which Professor John Frederick Cade would make this groundbreaking scientific discovery. This discovery, which led to the improvement of the quality of life of millions of bipolar disorder patients around the world, would start years before with a different process of extraction. Urine samples collected from Kate's patients were injected into guinea pigs. This suggested high levels of toxicity in the urine, in the urine an issue that Kate addressed by supplying doses of lithium carbonate to his patients. Kate then would proceed to inject the lithium carbonate-rich urine to another group of condemned animals. The results this time around showed that the animals not only avoided death, but also improved their spirits and general attitude. This mood improvement of the guinea, pe guinea pigs led Kate to continue experiments with lithium, first on himself and later with some of his patients, in which he saw evidence of recovery and even remission from their mental health ailments. By 1950, one of his patients Bill Brand, a man with a 30-year history of bipolar disorder, who Kate had successfully treated, died from lithium poisoning, the first death recorded. The failure shocked Cade. This discovery of how close the therapeutic dose of lithium was to being fatally toxic led him to abandon his experiments with the groundbreaking drug. In Aldous Huxley's 1931 novel, A Brave New World, the inhabitants of New London are happily sedated by a drug called Soma. In this way, the state retains control of its populace through an internal rather than external control mechanism. 
Throughout the novel, individuals take Soma regularly, self-medicating when needed. It is sprinkled on ice cream to improve the taste and even used by the police in aerosol cans to calm a public outbreak. Soma is weaponized mental health medication, social control through addictions that create a self-medicating social body. The bodies of lithium are also particular personalities that have the power to shape extractive narratives. In October 2021, the former Australian Minister for Foreign Affairs, the Honourable Julie Bishop, now Chancellor for the Australian National University, posed on top of the Mount Marion lithium mine in Western Australia. Raising awareness for ovarian cancer research, Bishop was quoted during the shoot, the only way to fight the silence is to get loud. This is not Julie Bishop's first encounter with this material. She's special advisor to the board of lithium extractor controlled thermal resources. Chief amongst lithium's protagonists is business magnate and entrepreneur Elon Musk, project architect of Tesla. Musk is a self-proclaimed savior of our future, whether on Earth via the electric car or other planets, as per his SpaceX program. In 2020, Tesla deployed 18,700 tonnes of LCE, lithium carbonate equivalent, onto the roads within their electric cars and actively markets itself as the face of ethically, environmentally conscious lithium consumption. Lithium's economic value and thereby its value viability are, are inextricably linked to Musk, who on May the 2nd, 2020, notably caused a 10% slump in Tesla company shares with a single tweet. The extraordinary sway of a single individual and his ability to destabilize global markets with 280 characters or less demonstrates the speculative nature of the resource and its associates, its fragility as a symbol, holding both hope and hazard. The Australian government predicts that Australian exports of lithium will rise from 1.1 billion in 2019 to 2.5 billion by 2023, and that lithium production will increase from 223,000 tonnes in 2019 of export to 327,000 tonnes by 2023. This graph demonstrates the astronomical growth of the Australian Lithium Stock Exchange. This spike in stock prices comes as the Australian uh, Minion Lithium Resources signs a five-year deal with Tesla for the new Kathleen Valley Lithium Mine in WA, which sent their own share prices soaring more than 15%. Tesla will take 100,000 tonnes in the first year starting in 2024, and then 150,000 additional tons a year from the next, in four years, from the, for the next four years. The economic volatility of lithium shares is echoed in the volatility of the lithium matter itself. Along with the promise of renewable energy storage, lithium has been the cause of many accidents with mild and severe consequences. In the small Swedish island of Uto in the, in the 1790s, Brazilian naturalist and statesman José Bonifacio de Andrade e Silva discovered lithium when he threw a piece of the white metal onto the fire, which flared into a bright crimson color. Lithium from this day would produce the red in fireworks. While this looks like it could be a laboratory for biohazardous materials, it is actually a typical lithium-ion battery production line in Xiantan, eastern China. 
A 13-tonne Tesla Megapack caught fire on Friday morning at a battery storage facility in southeast Australia. The blaze occurred during testing at between 10 and 10.15 local time, according to Victorian Big Batteries. The regional fire service said that a specialist fire crew had been dispatched to the site in Geelong, where firefighters had to employ a hazmat appliance designed for hazardous chemical spills and specialist drones to conduct atmospheric monitoring. A 40-year-old German driver died when his car, an electric-powered Tesla Model 3, hit the barrier in the central reservation of a motorway in the southern Swiss canton of Ticino. The impact turned the vehicle over and immediately, turned the vehicle over and immediately burst into flames, probably as a result of the violent impact on the vehicle's large battery. The Ticino Fire Brigade said that the violent impact of lithium-ion batteries could probably have caused the phenomenon called thermal runaway, or a rapid and unstoppable increase in temperature. One month after its commercial release, the South Korean technology and communications giant Samsung recalled its flagship Galaxy Note 7 phone tablet. After months of speculation, Samsung disclosed that what caused the device's lithium-ion batteries to overheat and catch fire. In an interview, Jay Whitaker, a material science and engineering researcher at Carnegie Mellon University, said that the lithium-ion battery efficiency comes at a price, saying, It's the only mainstream battery chemistry that uses a flammable substance as an electrolyte. So while it's more efficient than battery technologies with water-based electrolytes, such as nickel, cadmium, and nickel metal hydride, it also presents a greater fire risk. We live in times of climactic breakdown. With species becoming fast extinct and biodiversity brought into irreversible collapse. Political turmoil can suddenly escalate into armed conflict. Displacing vulnerable peoples that in turn stimulate the rise of racism and other forms of violence and extremism. Algorithmic technologies increase already severe inequalities and distribute alternative facts that can dangerously swerve people's sentiment and manipulate public opinion. In this scenario, with catastrophic consequences at the local and planetary scales, we interrogate the promise of lithium by plunging into its multiscalar and multifarious complexities. As with all seemingly perfect solutions to complex problems, there is no cure without side effects. Thank you. Questions? Yeah. Oh, all right. Um, what um, do you think we should do then? <laughs> it's. prepared with a better answer for this, don't we? I know, like that. It's the same question that came up last night. What do we do about it? Um, we don't know. Uh, we think that this is at least addressing part of the issue. Um, but yeah, there's a lot to, that needs to be done. And I guess the purpose of these lecture performances um, yesterday on call, today on lithium, is 
to generate effect and raise awareness, and and that's part of what needs to be done. Um, then we expect that you know it's up to whoever comes across this um, these events, you know, like to be conscious about. In this case of you know the, the the kind of the double bind right that exists with this material because we need it, but at the same time has its side effects as with other drugs and things that are not good for you. Maybe um, this doesn't answer the question of what one should do, but what what we are doing, I guess, through the through the Global Extraction Observatory is exploring how um, we can mobilize our particular skills in architecture to the complex problem of extraction. So um, the work we were doing originally around coal um, came about by seeing that um, the, the complexity of coal could be unpacked in a particular way through the spatial politics of coal that understood that there were very particular spatial and material um, uh, issues that could be unpacked and unpicked using our skills as as architects, and that um, and that you couldn't kind of separate the kind of the idea of mining from the spatial politics, from the ideological conditions, from those kind of wider arguments, but that we felt that we could perhaps um, hold some of that complexity in a particular way and to explore. Um, through aesthetics and uh, a kind of a dive into the kind of the issues around representation, we could start having a kind of a richer conversation. Um, you know, that in many ways it's a kind of, it's an old conversation that we, that over the last, you know, five years that we've been working on coal, we've like on regular occasions thought, well, this story is over and then it keeps coming back. You know, like, you know, I think there were many times where we thought, Oh well, you know, it's it's never it's not a story that is kind of holds currency anymore. But of course, we are still the largest exporters of coal in the world, and that's not stopping. Um, but I think the conversation around lithium is an interesting one because it's not a simple answer. It's not that we're against lithium extraction in any way, but I think there is a uh, there is a way in which um, many of us are holding, are pinning our hopes on lithium and not holding to the fact that it is still an extractive activity. Um, so we're trying to, yeah, we're trying to have that conversation in particular ways. Um, <clears throat> has there been any development in the way that they extract and refine lithium in recent years? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> the short answer is no. So as, as we described, so lithium in South America, in that lithium triangle between Chile, Bolivia, and Argentina is pumped out of brines that are under large salt flats. And uh, it's a technology that I don't think those companies are interested to change because it's very cheap for them um, to extract lithium. Those images of that grid on the desert are basically, you know, they pump the brine out and they let it evaporate and they change it from pool to pool until the concentration increases because it loses water. So it's super cheap for them to do it in that way. The harsh sun, uh, climate of, the, of that area, so there's no humidity. There's almost perpetual sunshine except at night. So evaporation is quite efficient. 
actually what's been happening is that that grid has kept expanding as a city that expands you know, to the surface and so on. And, and in those, some of those images, you can see the expanse of those grids. Uh, it's, it's massive. So in that respect, we are not aware of any new technologies that have emerged, particularly in that specific site. In Australia and other parts, like in China, also the US, like it's, it's actually lithium is containing rocks, which is a much more polluting process. Um, because you know you need to crush the mineral, you need to separate it, sift it, um, and and I'm talking about an industri industrial process, right? Um, it creates a lot of um, side, uh, like you know tailings and 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 pollution, and and I don't think there's, I mean I don't know, I'm, we're not an expert in that sense, uh, but yeah, there's no indication. I guess that with with mining companies, um, not all of them, but. It's it's about you know efficiency as much as possible at at any cost, really. And, I mean, we just saw recently what happened uh, with the Yukon Gorge. You know, as in, it's it's this. It's not a lot of consideration to the environment, uh, and this is precisely one of the struggles that we're interested to investigate. Um, what happens, like you know, the benefits that this brings to the global scale, but the the problems that it brings at the local scale, where this this material is extracted. And within the Australian context, reading the um, the arguments that Australia made when um, in the move towards becoming the largest producer of lithium in the world, one of the kind of key arguments that were made was that Australia had the infrastructure from its history of um, hard rock mining in place and that this was something that we, you know, we did and we, you know, there's some kind of very kind of amazing bits of text, you know, around, you know, we do this well. You know, we've like we've done mining, we've done large scale kind of mining. We know how to do it. Uh, we have the infrastructure there. It doesn't need to be complex because um, this is the most, um, this is the kind of the fastest way to mine lithium is hard rock mining. So you know, use explosives, use automated machines, and you know, that's that's the easiest way to do it. So. I mean, I think, you know, there are a lot of innovations. There's a lot of things that are coming up in terms of innovating and I think speeding up the system, particularly in kind of brine work. But, it, you know, the costs at the moment don't stack up, so it's not worth mining companies following through. Um, I firstly wanted to say thank you for such a great, for such great storytelling. Um, you know, for really kind of, I mean, I learnt a lot in that session that I didn't know about lithium and it's really that and the, the way that you weave together the different scales was was really fantastic um and it seems to me like well the thing that i was struck by was that it's a story um not just about problems of extraction but about the fact that we can't extract ourselves from lithium like we are I don't know how long lithium stays in the body, but I just kept thinking, what if you stacked a whole lot of human bodies together and um, how much lithium would you get out of them? Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you decided to extract, extract that from that source. Um, I mean, there's a lot of humans, if you wanted, on mass. But um, it's that kind of... Uh, it seemed like a really fantastic story of the Anthropocene in that... We are in it, in it, like inseparable from, and so it, it kind of, in a way, for me, actually inverted the extractive 
model in a way because I mean it, I know it's going on, but I mean the fact that it's so we I mean it's 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 a drug that we take to make ourselves feel better, um, and other things, and it's you know we eat it in our vegetables and such forth as well, along with a whole lot of other metals um, and other other substances, and that uh, I don't know it felt to me. Um, like it was a, it, the power of the story was about helping us to realize that that we're not we can't be extracted from the problem um, our bodies are not I mean it's not just about the environment which is over there it's we are a part of that environment so thank you thank you do you happen to know how long lithium does stay in the body as a question no it is a good question I mean, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't know whether you, whether it leaves the body or it, it's held in the body. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, I, thank you, thank you for the point about the storytelling. I, you know, we, we haven't, obviously there's no screen and we have done this performative lectures with a screen in the past. So there's no screen because there literally is no screen. So, um, yeah, I think Mark made the point about the kind of the lit up city um, as, as a background to the conversation, um, conversation on coal and also the conversation on lithium. Um, but the, the kind of the story, it was interesting to kind of think about how to do this performance without a screen. And we were, we were interested in the idea of looking at, your, looking at your phone and having the voice as if someone's telling you a story and how that would be a very different kind of um, uh, experience to the a theat the theatrical performance or the theatre of a large screen and the way in which we would present and what the way we have presented in the past. So, okay, just to... Yeah, it's, it's interesting how your comment is so important. It's, as, it, it's, we're, it's inescapable. Like, we cannot escape from it. As, for example, I think what you're saying, thanks to lithium, we were able to show the images it's true, like all this is running on lithium except this computer at this moment because it's plugged to the power. But the rest, your devices, everything is running on lithium um, thanks to, 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 to that technology. And um, so, so I think it's, that it, it's a way also for us to kind of emphasize that inescapability, if that's a word, of, you know, that, 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 that we humans have from lithium. Um, Regarding the drug, I think it's a fantastic question. I'm not sure. I think most of those drugs are released quickly because, and that's why people take it every day, basically. Um, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But it's an interesting question. Like, uh, and your idea, macabre idea, <laughs> is very provocative and interesting. And that's the kind of things that we like to do with these presentations, to be provocative as well and to raise these kind of questions that are not obvious but that are also important and interesting questions to ask. So thanks for the question. So a quick question. Is any scope for lithium and the batteries to be recycled and reused? It can be recycled, but it's not efficient. It starts losing its capacity to, um, to store the energy. So I don't know, I mean, it probably happens to everyone. Like the phones, the, the recharges start to lose, uh, what is it, duration, I guess. Um, when you recycle, the same happens. It loses certain properties. And um, 
is that coming from the actual lithium in the battery or the components wearing down? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, we talked to an engineer at UNSW who probably should be remain anonymous who discussed the fact who was specialising in the recycling of lithium and talked about the amount of money that was going into research and recycling lithium and that it dried up in about 2016 on the realisation of the huge lithium reserves that Australia has. So, um, but his comment was, um, well, he was talking about I mean, that said, he said, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to extract. And because of, the, you know, as we know, it's highly combustible. So it's very dangerous to extract. So there are, I mean, you know, it wasn't an easy process in terms of recycling lithium, but it can be done. Yeah. There's a US company called Redwoods Materials that does recycling. It's branched off of Tesla. It was like one of the executives. Yeah. Um, but he makes a pretty convincing entrepreneurial argument um, for the recycling of it, being that you don't have to refine it a second time. Yeah. And so most of the metals exist as they are. So, I mean, take with that what you will in terms of the stock price. I think just on that as well, um, large companies like Tesla and Apple implement quite a lot of strategies in terms of getting battery repairs readily available. But that process of getting the battery extracted out of the device um, often quite has quite a violent effect on the body if it is punctured. So that process of recycling something is often kind of set aside because the priority of the body is much more than the battery. And I think if we make a comparison between how easy it is to extract versus how easy it is to grow back a finger, the priority is, is towards the extraction aspect. And there are quite a lot of pushes from Tesla as a company um, to get battery efficiency higher. So they recently patented a 33% uh, more efficient battery that uses a different type of lithium extraction. Um, so there is there are pushes, but I think the push is more about maybe getting the battery more efficient than it is getting it recyclable. And I think it's important to note that, you know, there are there is a lot of amazing work happening in terms of alternative battery uh, design and using particularly sodium to create batteries. Um, and it's very clear that, and this I guess is the conversation that we're trying to have through this lecture, is it's actually not just about the material. I mean, on one, on one level there's something about lithium. You know, I think, you know, all of the kind of the stories of lithium, there's something incredibly... Um, potent about lithium on a whole lot of different scales. But it's also not just about the matter of lithium and the, that lithium is the only thing that can power a decarbonised future. However, it may be the only thing purely because the money and the wealth that is now connected with lithium extraction, that is connected with infrastructure, that is connected with, you know, nation states' economic growth, make it possibly the only material option. But it's not simply about the material itself. On that positive note. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you for being here in the cold um, <laughs> on a Tuesday. And, and, and we'd love to continue the conversation with all of you, so please be in touch. And, um, you know, this is the beginning, or the, this is the early stages of the research on lithium, so um, we're still kind of uh, notes in progress. So happy to... 
happy to have the conversation ongoing. listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. <laughs>